Welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by our new sponsor for the Oil & Gas Onshore podcast. A big shout out to Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of the oil and gas industry. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. All right. Welcome to this week's episode. We're back in Zoom land again here, folks, with Colin Plackey, petroleum engineer, real estate investor, and entrepreneur. Colin, if I had to guess, and I know a lot of folks don't like to give up their age, but you're probably in your 30s-ish. Is that right? Am I accurate by saying that? Yeah, we'll go with early 30s somewhere. I can't even remember myself. (laughs) Right on. Well, I tend to forget, to be honest with you, after, you know, once once I stopped celebrating my birthdays with all my buddies, you know, it's kind of one of those where I just... It's just a number. And the reason I say that, there's something about being in our 30s. And I'm I'm, I'm 34 years old. And so, you know, I, I looked at your, you know, when you graduated, I'm like, okay, like we have a lot in common. We grew up in the same era. We've, you know, we've dug our way through our, you know, first part of our career. But it's really exciting to be in the position where we're at. And, you know, all the blood, sweat, and tears going through high school and college for some. And getting out, starting a career in something totally unfamiliar, thinking you're a rock star, but then realizing you're such a worm and you really have no idea what's going on. Then the real fun starts in your thirties when you're making a considerable income, you may have a wife and kids. You suddenly realize there's so much more to life than what I'm doing. Then you end up having a couple side hustles, perhaps investing in real estate, and then it just becomes fun and the opportunities are endless. Am I right? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think once you start to get to this age, and like I said, you know, I'm 33. So we're about the same age. And, you know, I start focusing more on my kids birthdays than mine. So, you know, it doesn't matter how old I am, uh, as long as they're enjoying their birthdays. And and really, you step back and you start to think about like, all right, what's my legacy? What do I want to leave behind? Like you start having those conversations with yourself that you didn't necessarily have in your in your 20s. If you're if you're like me, like I, I wasn't thinking about that far out in my 20s. Right. But yeah, you start to think about legacy and what you want to leave behind and and what kind of impact you really want to make and what example you want to lead. And that's what leads down these kind of different paths that we're probably going to talk a lot about here today. Perfect. No, I can't wait. But before we get going, I do want to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. So for all the listeners out there, their new and integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enables and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the WellPad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn. So Colin, I have to ask before we get going on all that, you know, talking about diversifying and investing, I mean, did you get to retire, make a ton of money off of GameStop or AMC? And if so, can I have some? Because I did the complete opposite. <laughs> no, I did the complete opposite too. I have a way of really poorly timing the market. I'm, I'm better <laughs> off. If I'm in the stock market, I'm in it for the long haul. 
And that's yeah. why I love real estate too, is because I don't necessarily understand what's going on with the stock market, why things go up, why things go down. <laughs> However, with real estate, you know, I can sit there and look at the numbers and say what a property is worth and what it should be purchased for. Right. So yeah, much no, less. I, I did gamble. not get caught. Right. Right. I did not get caught up in that. I've, I've dabbled in Bitcoin. I thought I was a genius in like 2014. I've paid like 700 bucks for, you know, I got a handful of them, you know, 14 or 15 Bitcoin and sold them for a double. Yeah. I sold them at like $1,400. And I was like, I am a genius. You know, I made $700 a coin and I was going to ride off in the sunset. I was like smartest man alive. So, you know, everything I do now is very much long-term stable, you know, predictable type things. I I don't tend to dabble in the, you know, things that are a lot of speculative anymore, just because I have such a poor track record of doing that. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say it was too poor. You doubled your money. That's pretty good. If yeah, I could, if I can make hundred percent returns on anything, I'd probably do it, but it's been a roller coaster and it's just, it's, it's fun to talk about just because it's all over the headlines. And anytime you open social media or any, you know, threads on Reddit, if you're into that, it's, it's, you're always seeing something. And then the meme game on it is just hilarious, but. Oh, loving that part of it. Yeah, it it is. The entertainment value alone is worth it for me, but so where are you calling in from today? Denver. Denver, Colorado. I spent a lot of time in Denver. Actually, I've got some clients up there. I lived there for about a year, but I love Colorado. And, you know, being from Calgary, Alberta, it's kind of like a sister city. So how was the winter up there for you? Was it was it pretty good, mild, or was it treacherous? Or It's been mild so far, but it looks like the snow door is open and we've got a couple storms rolling in. So I'd like to see that. Like I said, I've got very young kids at home. I'm not necessarily going out on powder days, but I love to see the snow stack up because that means good fly fishing come the spring and summer. Okay. So, so you're a big fly fisherman then? Yes, I am. Okay. Have you always been or how did that come about? No. I mean, I grew up fishing in Texas. I grew up in Texas. So, you know, it was like spin fishing with bass and everything like that and moved to Colorado. And I honestly, I lived here about six years before picking up a fly rod. Okay. And I kick myself, you know, thinking about that all the time of the years that I wasted, you know, like I said, I've got kids. So time is at a very much premium. I've got kids. I've got a W2. I've got, you know, the real estate that I'm working on and everything like that. And time's at a premium now. Whereas, you know, in my twenties, I lived in Durango, Colorado for four years, literally on the Animus River. I could have walked out of my door and, and fished there and I just never got into it. So kicking myself for that, but I'll make up for it. Well, the beautiful thing about it is you have at least two or three lifetimes ahead of you to keep fishing. So I wouldn't say you're, you're coming near the finish line. So you got yeah. a lot of, lot of time to do that, man. So I think some people sometimes have a misconception about time. And the reality is, unless some freak accident happens, you know, there's a lot of it left. And, and I can tell you're a huge fisherman because I think you were just sipping on some coffee and you had a cup that had some wasn't that fishing gear on the cup or something? What is that? Yeah, I think I think they're like flies on the yeah. uh, cup here. So look at you. I Ooh, like look it. Look at me go. <laughs> Speaking of winters, have you seen the avalanches in Colorado lately? Like, yeah, the news yeah. about that. I do That's pay insane. attention to that because I did quite a bit of backcountry skiing when I lived in Durango, and yeah, I mean I've lost some some people that I was acquainted with in avalanches. It's scary, you know. You really need to know what you're doing out there. And I saw like. From February 1st through the 9th, there was the most avalanche deaths in the Rockies that, that since like 1910 or something. Yeah. So, you know, if you're into that kind of things, be very aware of the terrain that you're in and have that knowledge. And because even, you know, I know people that were sponsored professionals that got caught in avalanches and passed away. So it's not it's not a bunch of newbies out there. And, you know, COVID's kind of exasperated that 
you know, the ski resorts are kind of tough to get up to now. They're limiting numbers. So people immediately think, well, I'll just go in the backcountry and like, that's fine. Just know what you're doing, you know? Yeah. Mother nature has a mind of her own. And just when you think you've been prepared and you've you know, gone years without having any issues, it's, it just goes to show you just never know. And so it's just, like you said, you can't emphasize the safety aspect enough, whether you're, you know, backcountry skiing or whatever it is that you're doing, but yeah, it's just sad to see, you know, people doing what they love and something like that happening. It can be gut-wrenching, but anyway, it's just curious about, you know, that, but anyway, moving on. So you said you grew up in Texas. Whereabouts in Texas are you from? I'm from north of Dallas, Plano. Okay, nice. Yep, and then went to Texas A&M after that, and then immediately got a job after that in Durango, Colorado. So, okay, you know, of all the places to end up in the oil field, I think that's kind of the pinnacle for the lower 48, in my opinion. But yeah, someone else can prove me wrong. You know, you're just like you're in Southwest Colorado. It's a it's a resort town. The wells that I was working on right out of school, I was watching rigs for about a year right out of school, basically as a consultant. And, you know, I'm working in the national forest. I'm chasing elk off my location as soon as I get to work every day. And, you know, there was wild horses up there. The scenery is just beautiful. And you, you really can't ask for more than that in the oil field. And it really makes you appreciate, you know, what we do and how we are able to extract these great resources in areas like that and really respect the terrain and the nature and everything around it. And I think the San Juan Basin has done a, a really good job doing that over the years. Very cool. Very cool. So kind of backing up even further, I mean, what made you decide to get into petroleum engineering? Is it, you know, is it your family or was it just, you kind of threw a dart and that was it? Or what led you into this career path? So a good friend of mine growing up, his dad was a petroleum engineer. He worked for Hunt Oil and it was always cool. Like he was traveling the world, appraising different, you know, reservoirs, different assets and stuff like that. And I just, I thought it was the coolest job that, you know, he got to travel the world. He obviously made he did very well for himself. You know, that was plain to see. And then at the same time, the stories that he would tell of the people he met in in these countries and, and just really like experiencing the world, but also getting paid at the same time to do it. I was like, okay, sign me up for that. So yeah. And plus I was good at math, science and everything like that. I kind of had a passion for that. So it seemed to make a lot of sense in school. No, it seems, seems like a pretty natural transition then. And so you've been on the, again, according to LinkedIn, sort of the production and completion side of things. Was that something that interested you or did you just, you know, you just happen to find the opportunity and then you've learned to like it? Because a lot of people, you know, bounce around, they'll do production. I mean, granted, production and completion is two different things, but is that something that, you know, you're really passionate about or was it, again, you just sort of out of the gate started it and continued on? Yeah, it's funny. Again, we go back to, you know, different seasons in life, right? When I first got out of school, I loved completions, right? You know, I was 24 years old, 25 years old in charge of $140 million completions budget. You know, name another industry where you get to do something like that. Yeah. Now, the flip side of that coin, the other edge to that sword is that asset that I was in charge of $140 million budget in 2014, our break-even oil price was like, you know, $60 or something like that. It was a waxy crude. It had a pour point of like 104 degrees. And this is Vernal, Utah, where it gets negative 30 in the winter, right? So, <laughs> yeah, you know, LOE, extraction costs, everything like that. You know, the flip side of that sexy completions job is you're typically the first one to go. You know, the completion shut down, drilling shuts down. And really the, the things that last are reservoir and, and production in a situation like that. And so you start to take a step back and say like, okay, wait a second, I've got like, you know, a mortgage, car payment, kids. I didn't have kids at that time, but you know, you start thinking about these things. You're like, okay, maybe I don't need that sexy completions job. It's fun and everything like that. But 
there was times where I was out in the field and I knew that, you know, the reservoir engineer could turn his computer off at the end of work on Friday and, and not answer emails over the weekend. And like, <laughs> you know, they were always the last to let, get let go at companies as they were kind of in a downward spiral. And so I dabbled in reservoir for the past three and a half years, and I am now back in a production engineering role. So gotcha. personally, I, I liked reservoir. I'm more of a like, I like to put fires out in immediate you know, I just solved a problem that felt good. Where's the next problem? Whereas reservoir engineering is kind of like, you know, I was making plans and, and development plans that had six to 18 month timelines. And you don't get that immediate like gratification of like, I just literally solved, you know, a great problem and let's move to the next one. So that was kind of tough for me, right? Yeah, I can identify. I mean, I, I've been involved with drilling operations shoot since basically 2004. And it's it's nice to see operationally, it's exhausting. But like you said, that ROI is almost immediate. And so, you know, you make a decision on the phone and then in six hours, you can see whether you're able to get out of the hole or whether, you know, you're increased ROP or like you said, you can have that sort of immediate gratification and you're just constantly moving on to the next chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. But yeah, it's, it's, I think, you know, it's a different mindset and while it's exhausting, it's extremely rewarding at the same time. But like you said, you know, I would love the day that I can shut my phone off at, on Friday at four o'clock and then Monday morning fire it up and just kind of carry on about my business. That would be, you know, maybe one day, I don't know. But anyway, so in 2018, you know, looking at it, it, it looks like you decided to say, you know what, I'm not necessarily had enough, but I'm ready to do something different. And you found it, is it Alpenglow Investing? Yeah, Alpenglow Investments is kind of an LLC that I own that I invest out of, but kind of backing up before that. I really started to see the writing on the wall. Like I said, I was working at an asset with a break-even oil price in the probably the 60s at the time. Oil crashed in 2014 due to that landmark OPEC decision. And they shut down the asset. I got let go and I was out of work for three months. Now, okay. prior to that, I thought I had, you know, lined things up rather well. I had a rainy day fund. I had, you know, been setting funds aside for that day where, you know, the inevitable downturn would come in the oil and gas industry. That's something that, you know, I was taught from day one is like, hey, be ready for the ups and be ready for the downs. And I felt like I was ready. I had money set aside. Now, during the three months that I was out of work, I quickly realized that I had set aside the money in the wrong assets. So I had set that money aside in the stock market to let it grow over time. And, you know, sure, it had appreciated over time. But when I lost my income, I had to sell those stock assets and you know I get hit with capital gains taxes and then that investment is no longer there to grow in the future right so I quickly realized as I'm watching like you know this this supposed rainy day fund quickly dwindle and I'm paying you know astronomical taxes every time I have to sell something literally to keep the lights on and keep my mortgage paid yeah it really got me thinking of like man there's got to be a different way there's got to be a better asset out there that can provide cash flow that I can, you know, direct towards more investments when times are good. And when times are bad, I can redirect that cash flow to keeping the lights on, keeping my bills paid. And I don't necessarily have to lose that investment. And, you know, when you start to look at all, and, and also I wanted tax benefits, right? You know, eight years in the oil industry at, at a relatively, you know, we make pretty good money in this industry and uncle Sam always wanted his chunk. And so, you know, just eight years of taxes, I was like, there's got to be something different that, you know, I want to pay less taxes. And when I really started to list out the boxes that I want to check with my investments, real estate fit every single box, right? It has cash flow if you do it right. 
tax benefits. It can appreciate over time and it also can make you money while you sleep. So with those boxes checked, you know, obviously I did nothing. (laughs) So I didn't experience enough pain. You know, I got back to work after three months and I realized like, okay, you know, I've got to do something different. I learned my lesson, like, you know, real estate's the answer. And I literally did nothing. I got back to work, got back in that kind of trance, if you will, of, you know, waking up every day, solving problems for my W-2 job, but not solving these long-term financial problems that, you know, us as an entire industry are going to face from time to time. So kind of got lulled back into that kind of, you know, work and, and play and not thinking about the bigger picture. Until, you know, I got another slap in the face in like 2017 or 18. I don't know if you remember when the Powerball was like $2 billion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, my buddies and I were sitting around talking about which Ferrari or Lamborghini we would drive on which day of the week if we won that lump sum, you know, because it was like a, it was like a billion dollar lump sum. And we're just talking about outlandish, outlandish things that we would buy. All except for one buddy of mine was sitting in the corner, just kind of crunching numbers on his phone's calculator. And when he spoke up, it, it literally changed the course of my life forever. Because what he said was, with that billion dollar lump sum, I could buy 20,000 more apartment units that would cash flow $7.5 million per month for the rest of my life after taxes, after expenses, everything like that. Wow. So let that sink in for a second. Jeez. I mean, we're talking about a billion dollars hitting your bank account. And this buddy of mine is a real estate investor. He had been doing it. He owns like 35 or 40 single family houses in Tennessee that he had bought over the years. Okay. Literally a billion dollars hitting his bank account. He's just going to do the same thing and, and do it at a bigger scale. So like, think about your investments. If you're out there listening to this, like if a billion dollars hit your bank account, would you do the same thing? Like, no, you're, yeah, you're, you're talking about like Ferraris and, and G5s and stuff like my buddies were, except, <laughs> except that one friend of mine, like he knew the answer. And after hearing that, I was like, Hey, we got to talk, like, tell me about this real estate stuff. How can I get involved? And you know, the rest is kind of history. So they say today I'm sitting, I'm a general partner in about 900 units, apartment units across the Southeast. You know, I wow. focus in the Sun Belt in cash flowing markets and, and it is, you know, it seems like such a big leap and everything like that. But when it comes down to it, there, there's a skill set that we all have in the oil and gas industry. And this is what I'm preaching with Rigs to Real Estate is we have inherently 90% of the skills to find success in, in real estate in particular. What we lack is kind of the 10%, which is that mental hurdle of getting over, like having the confidence to get out there and do it, getting the knowledge and networking with people who are finding success there. And so that's the whole message that I'm trying to bring with Riggs Real Estate is like, number one, we don't have to live from boom to bust. There's things that you can be doing when times are good to be better prepared when times are bad. And number two, like it's not rocket science, right? I mean, it's a skill set that you already have. It's just getting over that mental hurdle and having the confidence to get started. And so that's what I'm trying to help people with and promote that kind of message. Now, I'm not naive enough to think that real estate is a solution for everyone. It's clearly not, right? But it's worked for me and it's what I'm very knowledgeable about. And I've helped a lot of oil and gas professionals get started in real estate, get their first investment and start working towards that passive income that can smooth out the ups and downs of this industry. But we can also have the same conversation about different you know, streams of multiple streams of income at the end of the day is what I'm really trying to get the point across is you cannot rely solely on your oil and gas income. Even right. if you have the most stable job in this industry, our industry is constantly getting smaller. 
every every day, you know, every week you see so and so is laying off, so and so is laying off. It's just going to continue this this way. And even if you have a very stable job, you need to be thinking about these other forms of passive income. And it doesn't have to be real estate, but it seems like there's a simple pattern and steps that you follow, whether it's real estate or some other passion to find successor and start getting these passive income streams. Right. No, it's it's extremely important. And I think you've touched on a good point because a lot of folks ride the highs when it's high. And, you know, and and even like I've gone through a few booms and busts. And when when things are good, you almost forget how bad it can be. And you just kind of, you know, you, you oftentimes overspend and this and that. And and again, you know, I, I credit my wife. She's has a finance and accounting background. And so she does a you know great job of you know protecting ourselves because we know that eventually, you know, what what goes up must come down. But you know, it gets to share a little bit of my story. You know, my wife was you know, being financial in oil and gas and then had kids and she's been a mom. And then it's like, you know, I want to have something for myself. And, and similar to you, she kind of went through her sort of criteria of what she wanted. And I always told her like, do what makes you happy. Like we're in a fortunate position. I'm doing well, you know, we can afford and save and, you know, da, da, da. And yeah, one thing led to the next and she, you know, thought about going back to school in the medical industry. Well, anyway, she decided to, okay, I'm going to jump into real estate because, you know, moving from Canada into the U S and a few different places, we've gone through the process of, you know, buying and selling. And fortunately we've done well. And it's like, where have we made the most impact on our, you know, our income. And it was every time we sold a house because we fortunately timed it right. And the market was good. And, you know, we, you know, aside from, you know, bonuses that come and go and you never know what's going to happen it was like, wow, like, what if we could just do that at scale? And so, you know, we decided, okay, like, you know, time to get into the game and, and, you know, just talking to more folks. Well, anyway, she got into a program, it's a 12 week program and, you know, she's kind of going through just the, the lessons and really understanding like the different ins and outs. Cause most people, at least including myself thinking real estate investing is like, okay, you buy a house that's, you know, online or a realtor finds you a house and then you, you know, try and sell it for a bit of a profit or, you know, the snap, but I didn't realize like how many ways you can invest in real estate. And so it's just opened our eyes to, to a bunch. And so she's been just like putting offers on houses, knocking on doors or driving for dollars as she calls it. And then yesterday she was cold calling a bunch of folks from a list that she got. And it was just, you know, she's just going through the hustle and it's so cool to, to see that. And so, but like you said, we have so many good skills and being able to leverage that into real estate, I think is something that a lot of people should at least consider. And like you said, it's not for everybody. And granted, we've, aside from our personal, you know, selling homes that we've lived in, we haven't made a dime on it. And mind you, she's only been doing it for, you know, kind of in it for, you know, I think since basically the first week of January. So she's very early in the game, but um, what she's learned and then just the network alone. And it's, it's a very neat community because I feel like a lot of folks, because the pie is so big. It, people are willing to help everybody. And it's, I, I kind of relate it to oil and gas. Cause you know, I have, you know, in my network, I have a, a guy or a gal for this, if I need something or a guy or a gal for that. And it sounds like the investment community is kind of the same. Like, you know, people who, who can do like lending and then, you know, people who can do contract work and you kind of, you know, leverage the network to, to get ahead. But I guess my point is we're slowly going through that and it's exciting. And, you know, for people, I guess, kind of leading into the next part of this is for people who, are interested in that. I think a lot of it, like you said, is just kind of the fear or the over, you know, overcoming that first one, but there's a lot of it's, you don't know what you don't know. And so while it sounds good, 
it's, you know, if you were to Google how to invest in real estate, it would be like getting in, a, in a, you know, hit in the face with, with, do not do that. you know, a thousand <laughs> gallons a second. And so I think that's where a lot of people fear is like, there's, there's no plan. There's a thousand books out there and no money down and you can invest. And it's just all like glamorous, but like for the, for the average person, like what is the best resource? And it sounds like, you, you know, you like to help a lot of people, but I think if you had a thousand inbounds in the next week, you'd probably be overloaded and couldn't help everybody. But can you kind of just give some insight as to like, you know, I'm sitting at my desk Friday afternoon, this weekend, I want to get started in real estate investing. Like, can you outline just like the very fundamentals of how you even get started or where to look for information to get started? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a few things that you mentioned back there that I really want to key in on. Number one, you said there's, you know, when you start getting into this world, you realize how many avenues there are to make money in real estate. And that's part of the problem is people do get in, they Google, how do I invest in real estate, which like, please do not do that. (laughs) You know, by the end of the show, we'll have some good actionable tactics that you can go on. But I really want to say like, it's overwhelming. You should feel overwhelmed. You should feel like you're drinking from a fire hose if you go that route. Now, what I try to do with Riggs to Real Estate is get rid of all the clutter, put the blinders on and really give people clarity of mm-hmm. like, here's the problems that we inherently have as an oil and gas industry. And here is three facets of real estate that you can make money, generate wealth over time and solve those problems that we have in the oil and gas industry. Ignore all the other stuff. So a big thing you mentioned was like, transactional based real estate. You know, if you turn on HGTV and they're flipping houses and making it look really sexy, that's not going to solve your problems in the oil and gas industry. I'm going to just tell you that right now. Number one, it's basically a second job. Mm-hmm. Number two, the government looks at it as a second job because proceeds from the sale of a flipped house are considered ordinary income. So you're going to be taxed heavily on that. And number three, it's not passive in nature, right? So transactional based real estate is based on your ability to keep making transaction after transaction after transaction. What we need as oil and gas professionals is something that is equity based, meaning you own equity in a cash flowing entity that will spit out cash flow whether you're paying attention to it or not. And that's the ultimate goal. And so in order to fulfill that goal, there's only really three facets of real estate that I suggest to people. Number one is single family rentals. So, you know, you're buying a single family house and you're doing the numbers such that it cash flows every single month after all your expenses, your taxes, your insurance, your principal, your interest and expenses, you still get a little bit of cash flow over, over time. And so, you know, that single family rentals, that's kind of a lone wolf game. You're going to be really grinding, hustling, but the beauty there is you can start with relatively you know, low to no money down. You don't need a lot of capital. So if, you, if you're a hustler and you don't have a lot of money saved up, that's typically where I suggest to, to start is looking at single family cash flowing rentals in very solid markets. And I've got a lot of content out there about, you know, what steps you should be doing first as far as single family. Now, if you're a higher net worth, busy professional, and your monthly cash flow goals are over a certain amount, I typically say over about eight to $10,000 per month. If that's your ultimate goal, you need to skip single family and go straight into multifamily. And there's two facets of multifamily. You could either do active multifamily where you're out there, you're finding deals, you're raising money, you're talking to brokers, you're putting these deals together and managing them afterwards. Or there's passive multifamily investing, which is, you know, you have capital, but you don't necessarily have time 
to focus on it yourself. So it's really great for busy professionals, doctors, lawyers, engineers, CPAs, landmen, geologists, you know, that have these busy full-time jobs and they want their capital to work for them. They want to check all the boxes of real estate, but they don't necessarily have the time to go out there and learn on their own. They can plug into a passive multifamily investment that is managed by experienced professionals and earn great returns on their money and all the tax benefits because they're considered an owner, but they don't have to use up any of their time. And, and a lot of the higher net worth clients that I talk to and, and help, time is their biggest commodity, right? So they don't want to be spending their weekends putting offers on houses in Topeka, Kansas, when they could be spending it with their family because they've got a very busy schedule during the week, right? So you know, to really step back, I've got a six question framework that if you go listen to episode six of the Riggs to Real Estate podcast, there's a really great framework where it asks you six questions and really lines out like where you fit into those three aspects of real estate. And again, I realize there's a thousand other ways to make money in real estate. And if something else attracts you and you have a passion for it, pursue that 100%. But I'm just going to tell you now, like, Based on my experience, these three facets are the ones you should focus on and get clarity on first okay. because they are the ones that will solve the problems of the oil and gas industry the quickest. Perfect. And it's interesting because you have resources out there to kind of help, you know, just get pointed in the right direction. And I think that's a lot of the challenges. Like, where do I start? Like, it's again, it's overwhelming. But again, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on is to, to create awareness around you know, the resources that are available and especially the stuff that you've provided. And so where do you see, I mean, just in the housing market in general, it's interesting because, you know, things have gone well. The housing market is, it's funny because over the, you know, during COVID kept seeing on the economist and and wall street journal and, and just different news outlets, you know, it's like, you know, why is the housing market, you know, doing so well right now? It just seems absurd. And so can you just kind of talk high level, like kind of what your thoughts are on the housing market? Because I think that's something that people are, you know, do I wait until another 2008 bus? And, you know, if people buy now, are they buying an inflated value or an inflated asset that in two years is going to lose money? Or can you kind of just shine some light on your thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I'll break it down into like kind of a short term, what I think could happen. And again, all the opinions that I have, it's just like my oil and gas career. If I don't know something, I'm going to talk to an expert you know, who has that believability and experience to then craft my own opinions based on it, right? So short-term and long-term and everything that I look at is a very long-term timeline. And I will say, I'm very confident that over the long-term cash flowing real estate in well-performing markets with good demographics, good jobs data will outperform and may be a very, very good investment for you and generate wealth over time. Now, on the short term, there's a lot of challenges ahead. You know, these jobs data keeps coming out and it's getting uglier and uglier and the stock market keeps going up and up, right? Housing prices are going up and up. And, you know, my suggestion is always like, if you wait for that opportunity, for that perfect buying opportunity, it's never going to come. Even if it does come, you won't recognize it because you aren't educated enough to recognize it. And so what I always suggest is like, Go start going through the motions, getting yourself educated, figuring out how you want to get started in real estate and really get started and just make good financial, non-emotional decisions. Let the numbers do the talking. And if right now none of the numbers make sense, you know, you're still learning along the way. You're still calculating these things. You may not get your first asset for, you know, six or 12 months, but if you stay consistent and stay with it, all of a sudden the numbers will make sense and and you don't want to get emotional about it. And to me, like sitting on the sidelines 
is even worse because when there is a buying opportunity, like I said, you have no experience at that point. Yeah. And you're starting from ground zero. Whereas if you started now, you know, you've got relationships with brokers, lenders, people who source deals, that type of thing. And you're ready to pull the trigger when the time comes. And my, my thing is always like, I was in, under the same impression, right? Like everyone, when they first get started, thinks they need to have these, all these ducks in a row of like, you know, I've got to have capital. I've got to have education and I've got to have a lot of time to do this, to get started in real estate. And I just want to go, you know, very plainly say like, you don't have to have all those ducks in a row. You probably only need two out of the three of those to get started. Mm-hmm. I actually know people who are very successful that only had one out of the three and they learned the other two along the way. The, the important part is getting started. You know, it's like trying to ride a bike standing still, right? Like it's impossible. And having the confidence in yourself to get started now, and you may change paths along the way. That's something I talk about on the show a lot is like, I use an analogy of a torpedo. When a torpedo is fired, it gets to its target literally by failing. It realizes it's off target, it adjusts course, gets back on target and fails its way to its target. Yeah. And you have to be confident enough and be okay with taking a couple losses along the way, knowing that you're on the way toward your, your number one goal, your, your total target and everything like that. So yeah. if you don't get started, you'll never know you're going to miss, you know, 100% of the shots you don't take. And, you know, that's kind of my opinion on that, but, you know, going back to where I think short-term things are going, there's going to be some challenges in the market. I focus on cash flowing entities in landlord friendly States in the Southeast. So these are growing markets. They have good jobs data they are ahead of the rest of the US as far as unemployment recovery and rents are still raising in these areas. And I focus on workforce housing, which you physically can't build at an affordable price anymore. So, I mean, this is wow. again, a big supply and demand issue, right? Like there's an affordable housing shortage. So there is being more and more demand for the product that myself and my partners are buying. And so we're strategically placing ourselves in these assets. And I I can, you know, hop on the phone with me or go listen to the podcast. I've got a lot of content out there about selecting a market and placing yourself, you know, in the path of progress, if you will. And that's what it's all about is, is, you know, you may see some headlines about like, you know, rents are getting crushed, occupancies way down and blah, blah, blah. But when you really look at the data that they're using in that title or in that, you know, kind of media article, it's going to be your gateway cities. They're going to be challenged. You know, your, your New York's, San Francisco's, Seattle, these very unlandlord friendly, unbusiness friendly, high tax, high cost states are going to be extremely challenged going forward. But I think, you know, things in the Sun Belt, things in the Southeast, these landlord friendly, affordable places to live are going to continue cruising right along. Well, no, that's that's interesting because I think a lot of people, when they think about investing in real estate, they 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 automatically think local. Like if I live in Houston, I need to invest in Houston. If I live in Dallas, I need to invest in Dallas because it just seems absurd to be, you know, like invest in something where you don't live, where you can physically see and and go like look at and stuff. And so, you know, if folks are, you know, realizing, okay, like I maybe need to sort of expand my geographic area of potential. I mean, does, does that then, you know, require people to manage properties? I mean, cause, or like, I guess, how would that work if, if I live somewhere and I'm investing somewhere else? Like it just seems kind of, I would imagine for a lot of folks, like, well, that seems just out of touch. Like, how would I do that? Yeah. Yeah. There is a big disconnect there. And it's, again, it's having the, the knowledge and confidence of, you know, a step-by-step path to where that is possible. And also hearing stories of people who have done it before, 
Yeah. So I'll tell my story. You know, when I really decided to jump into it and get my first property, my mentor at the time was a big proponent of invest where your money can do the best work for you and live where it makes sense to live, right? So I live in Denver. You know, people buy rental houses here for four or five hundred thousand dollars that only rent for like eighteen hundred dollars a month. There is no way you're making those numbers work. And so I started looking and I, I got a spreadsheet out and I started looking at all these different markets around the US because I had a mentor who had the confidence to say or to, to instill the confidence in me of like, hey, this is perfectly doable. You can buy a house in another city and have it professionally managed by a property manager. It will cash flow better than what you can get in your own backyard. You've just got to get out there and look for it. And so, you know, after searching through probably 30 different metros, I ended up deciding on Dallas-Fort Worth and Fort Worth in particular, I thought had a little bit more meat left on the bone and value than Dallas. Taxes were a bit lower, prices were a bit lower and rents were strong as well. So the first house I bought in Dallas-Fort Worth, I bought it sight unseen. I'd never been there until after I actually owned it. So (laughs) how did I do that? I set up a team. I had a contractor or three or four contractors that I interviewed and found one that I liked. I had a property manager lined up. I had real estate agents, people who were boots on the ground. Like, you know, that house, I sent my contractor there to do the tour with the person that was wholesaling it. So he's taking videos, sending me like, you know, gigabytes of data of this house and also a very detailed construction outline of what it's going to cost to rehab this. And I can plug that into my underwriting and make sure the numbers make sense. And I bought the house sight unseen, right? So, but it's all about having the systems and processes and procedures in place and that team in place, the boots on the ground. And after that, I'm not going to say it's easy, but it's not rocket science. It's just having the confidence to say like, no, I, I don't need to look just in my backyard. If for some reason you don't live in a great rental market, you know, have the confidence to go look elsewhere. And, and if you're out there wondering like what markets should you start looking at, I've got that spreadsheet with 30 different markets that I ranked all the different aspects that I'm looking at, population growth, job growth, vacancy, crime, all those things lined out. I'm happy to send you that spreadsheet to get you started and kind of narrow down because I know there's you know literally thousands of markets out there. I think I put the best 30 in the US on the spreadsheet. And from there you can make your own decisions. And I've also got links on the spreadsheet to where you can go and find your own data. If you want to add a market to it, you can see where I got the data so you can compare it to other markets on the spreadsheet. I'm happy to give that to any anyone listening to this podcast who's curious about wow. market analysis and, and what we look at. Man, your sort of willingness and, and selflessness to help others is extremely, I mean, it's amazing. And so I encourage anyone out there that's even curious you know, Colin, you, you may be setting yourself up for some serious inbound here, but again, I, I think it's amazing what you're doing and helping others. And you can tell you're extremely passionate about it. And when you're confident enough in what you do to be able to provide information and help others learn, I mean, that, that's the greatest gift of all is helping others achieve their goals and their dreams. And so I commend you. It's amazing. And so I'm curious personally, like, you know, you've obviously done well, you, you've got your ducks in a row why not double down in real estate and just leave the corporate world? Like to me, that would be a no brainer, but I mean, have you thought of that? (laughs) Cause you're obviously still grinding away in oil and gas. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's something I talk about on the show a lot is I'm not doing this to simply replace my income in oil and gas. And so I can quit a job and go sit on a beach or go fly fishing all day. You know, it is kind of funny. Originally that was my number one goal. I was like, man, I just want to replace my income so I don't have to work and I can just go fly fishing or or hiking or whatever. 
And it's kind of funny because the journey that I've been on and the person that I had to become to be successful in real estate would no longer be okay with simply quitting my job and going out there and sitting on a beach or fly fishing or anything like that. Number two, I love my job. I love my company. I love what I do. Like name another career path where you can have so much experience in networking with great people. Like the oil and gas industry is a family to me. I don't want to leave that. I love, like I said, you know, I don't plan on ever, you know, quitting to go real estate full-time. What I am doing is hedging for that day where I may not have a choice. Right. So I work for, you know, a smid cap oil and gas company. Like we would be a rounding error on some of the mergers that we've seen recently. (laughs) Yeah. So and like that, I think is, is my biggest fear. I I hope that we're right-sized people wise, and we don't have any more reductions in force at my company, but you never really know. And, you know, the big wild card is every company's for sale at the right price, right? Or can be merged at the right price. And it's really something that, you know, I do agree. It's a painful pill to swallow, but it is something that our industry kind of needs to do to survive at this point. So again, I'm hedging for that day where I may not have a choice to leave the oil and gas industry. And then what happens on that day? I switch over to real estate. I've got a track record. I've got a network built up. I've got cash flow to cover my bills, expenses, everything like that, to where I'm not scrambling to find a job immediately. Whatever can pay me money the quickest, I can sit back and say, like, oh, what am I passionate about? What do I really want to pursue? And, and that's what it's all about. And that's what I'm trying to preach with Riggs Real Estate. You know, I love this industry. It's a family to me. And it was really painful last year when Corona was hitting, prices were dropping and everything like that. Seeing friends, family, colleagues that I've known for 10 plus years, when they got let go or reduced in force at their company, they were devastated. It was their whole identity was wrapped up in that W-2 job. And I was like, man, you know, I wish I could help these people. And it finally dawned on me, like, you know, sitting around during quarantine, I was like, well, duh, I can help them. I mean, I literally have a blueprint for how I escaped the boom to bust cycle. And all I, all I have to do is like, you know, document how I did that and also tell stories of other oil and gas professionals who have done that. And I have them on the podcast. They tell their story. Suddenly there's a lot less mystery around how real estate works, how to find success. You see the blueprint, you put the blinders on, you find clarity and you find success. And that's what it's all about. And like you said earlier, literally nothing has been more rewarding than helping oil and gas professionals overcome this boom to bust cycle. And I've really like, I've really enjoyed where the traction is going. And I know you're saying I may get inundated here (laughs) when this episode airs. I'm ready for it. I will say like, I've got a lot of content out there. Listen to the podcast. If that's what you do, visit the website. I've got a great webinar called Passive Income for Oil and Gas Professionals. If you go to rigstorealestate.com, you can watch that webinar and really start, you know, lining out where you think you would want to go with this journey and then hop on the phone with me and let's talk about, you know, steps that we can do. And I can make sure that you're focused on steps one, two, three, one foot at a time, one foot in the other, in front of the other, and not focused on, you know, anxiety about step eight. Yes. You haven't done step one, because by the time you get to step eight, if you follow the right path, the person that you've become to handle step eight can handle it. So it may seem like this big jump, you have anxiety. It's a mystery right now because you're looking too far down the road, you know? Yep. Yeah. No, that's, man, I I think it's so great because you, again, I I think it's 
it's so easy for people to paint the picture and it's like, yeah, but how, like no one's giving me the blueprint. No one's saying, okay, step one, you know, go to this website or step one, you know, do this. And I think that's, that's where the biggest disconnect is. It's like, I see you doing step eight, nine, 10, but I don't even know how to get to step two. But again, the fact that you're willing to help and get on the phone, you've got content. I think it's amazing. And, and, and if, you know, if even one person on this, you know, listening to this takes a step towards that direction, it's been a huge win. And so in the interest of time, you know, there's a couple of questions I want to ask before we close out more on the personal side. So sort of, you know, getting away from the real estate stuff, but, you know, obviously you're busy, you got kids, you mentioned you got your job, you got real estate investing. I'm sure you've got other things that you're interested in, but do you have any daily habits or routines that contribute to your success and that, that really kind of own you in and where you plant your stake and say, okay, to every single day I need to do this. Cause if I do this, I'm ready for anything else. Is there anything that comes to mind that you do on a daily basis? Yeah, absolutely. And that was kind of a game changer breakthrough for me is really focusing on, on personal development, not so much, you know, how much can I learn about real estate? Cause there's a finite amount that you can learn about whatever passion you want to pursue. Of course, but focusing on yourself and self-improvement is something that you can constantly work on. And so for me, you know, I have shiny object syndrome. I'm always, <laughs> you know, learn as much as I can get like 95% fluent in whatever I'm learning. And then it's on to the next thing, right? Like, whereas the self-development portion is something that I can constantly work on. And I've got a great book recommendation. It's The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. So, you know, I wake up, drink a lot of water. I actually meditate, which is something that if you would have asked Colin from six years ago, he would have made fun of Colin from today for meditating, right? Like, Hey, I get it, man. Trust me. <laughs> kind of like that Billy Madison, right? Like if I saw myself wearing that, I'd kick my own ass, but <laughs> it's made a huge difference in like really becoming grounded, focused, having clarity and being present in what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's helped me a ton. So that's kind of my morning routine is, you know, number one, drink a lot of water, meditate, and then think of things that I'm grateful for. And, you know, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough season. 2020 was really rough. So you may be out there thinking like you have literally nothing to be grateful for, but there's definitely things if you really search deep down, there's, there's things that you can be grateful for every single day. Wow. What a great message to close out, Colin. I love that. And before we do officially close out of this podcast episode, I just want to take a few moments to tell everyone about some upcoming OGGN events. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for April 2021. This month, we have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the Spring Pitch Party focused on clean tech. It'll be hosted at the Canon on April 6th. Next, we have our two online events, the University of Houston PES Career Fair on April 8th and the CSPG GeoWomen eTalk on April 20th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information about any of the live streams or events we have coming up. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for April. I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Excellent. And anyone out there in the Houston area interested in playing oil field hockey, come join the Hack and Whack crew for some old-timer hockey. We do it every two weeks at Memorial City Mall Ice Rink. Hit me up on LinkedIn and send me your email address if you want to go on the distribution list. Colin, thanks again for joining me today. You've just added a tremendous amount of value to the listeners. The content and some actionable items I think is amazing because it's so often you hear of people doing these great things. 
But it's like, yeah, it's easy for you to say, but how does a, just an average person like myself do it? And I, I think you really laid the groundwork and offered yourself, you know, available to helping people. It's amazing, man. And, and I just couldn't thank you enough. So what's the best way for people to reach out or to get to know more about your company? And I can put all the links in the show notes. So you don't necessarily have to spell it out, but just, yeah, if you could, where, where's the best places to find your content? Yeah. So I'm, I'm super active on LinkedIn. You can find me there Just search for my name there. And then you'll see, you know, my podcast links to that rigs to real estate.com. And then, you know, the podcast is on anywhere you consume your, your day, whatever you're listening to this right now, you can find rigs to real estate. So reach out to me and happy to help. Awesome. Well, I've got all of those links in the show notes. So if you're listening, just scroll down on your phone or computer or wherever we'll have, you know, each of those links listed that way it's easy access. And again, folks, always remember when the density is up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.